0: Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church, North Adelaide. You can find more great things like this at citylight.church slash North Adelaide. Okay, we have two readings this morning and our first Old Testament one comes from Deuteronomy chapter 5 verses 1 to 22. So that's Deuteronomy chapter 5 verses 1 to 22 and these are the Ten Commandments. Moses summoned all Israel and said, Hear, O Israel, the decrees and laws I declare in your hearing today. Learn them and be sure to follow them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. It was not with our fathers that the Lord made this covenant, but with us, with all of us who are alive here today. The Lord spoke to you face to face out of the fire on the mountain. At that time, I stood between the Lord and you to declare to you the word of the Lord, because you were afraid of the fire and did not go up the mountain. And he said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labour and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall, do, you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your ox, your donkey or any of your animals, nor the alien within your gates, so that your manservant and maidservant may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of here with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you so that you may live long and that it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbour. You shall not covet your neighbour's wife. You shall not set your desire on your neighbour's house or land, his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbour. These are the commandments the Lord proclaimed in a loud voice to your whole assembly there on the mountain from out of the fire, the cloud and the deep darkness, and he added nothing more. Then he wrote them on two stone tablets and gave them to me. And our second reading is from the New Testament. And it comes from Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 to 40. So that's Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 to 40. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together
1: Thanks very much Naomi. Good morning everyone. It's nice to see you. Um, If I haven't met you before my name is Simon Jackson. I am lead pastor here, one of the elders um, at this church, um, City Light Church North Adelaide. It's nice to see you. If you are new a warm welcome. Uh, If you're a regular it's good to see you back um, and uh, all that. Um, I um, thought I'd just start with a couple of prefaces. Um, one is um, Nick, who's been leading us today, I don't want to put words into Nick's mouth, but um, one of the, I think one of the things as followers of Jesus is we've all got a testimony, right, of how God has worked in our lives. Um, and I think um Part of our testimony is, you know, that moment when God by his grace opened our eyes, unstopped our deaf ears, softened our hard hearts to see, hear and love Jesus and to trust him. And so we've got a story and whether that's, you know, your story is you've grown up in a Christian family and always known God's amazing grace towards you in Jesus, or if you've had a dramatic moment. So we've all got like a testimony, right, of God's opening our eyes to see Jesus Um, but I think we've all, you know, if you think a bit about it, we've got more recent testimonies as well as to how God has worked in our lives, um, displaying his goodness and grace and mercy and things like that and I think as Christians we ought to have like that testimony of when God turned us to follow Jesus, also recent testimonies of God's kindness and goodness in our lives as well. Not to put words into Nick's mouth or create a testimony for him but if you followed on Slack, Nick and his family have been finding it challenging to find a new place to live um, and um, they sort of have had a bit of a rough trot with their landlord and things like that and many of us have been praying for Nick and his family that they would find a new house and God by his grace has provided that for Nick's family so praise the Lord hey round of applause to the Lord like, I think it's, it's awesome I didn't do that to embarrass you, brother, as well. But, you know, just wanted to, I just wanted to embarrass you. There you go. No. Um, and the second thing is we're, uh, we're in the book of Deuteronomy. Um, and if you have closed your Bible or your app and things like that, do go back to Deuteronomy chapter 5 or thereabouts. And I um, just wanted to say as well, like I've had, a, I've had one of those weeks, You probably know what these weeks are like where things haven't really gone to plan, there've been lots of challenges, pastoral issues have come up which have consumed me, Um, situations just with my own health which have been challenging Um, and as such I haven't, I feel like I haven't had as much time sort of in the word to prepare and so today I'm, I'm really standing on the, the, the feet of, or well, the shoulders actually, isn't it, of giants um, and in particular part of the structure of my sermon today comes from, a, you might know John Dixon, um, Australian apologist and evangelist, so kind of my four big points that I'm going to share today kind of come from him, um, um, I've filled in the details kind of thing but um, just wanted to say I've relied on, I just want to be really clear, relied on um, those four points and also standing on the the shoulders of giants as well. John Dixon, um, Jen Wilkin, George Athos, commentators on Deuteronomy as well. So just want to share that uh, with you. But uh, let's pray, hey, as we come to God's word this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for um, all the good things you give us. Thank you that you are our provider. You're our protector, you, you, we've sung this morning, you fight for us, you go before us. Father, we thank you that through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, nothing can separate us from your love for us, neither sword or famine or nakedness or shame, nothing, even death can't separate us from you. And so we praise you for that. And we pray now as we think about your word, we pray that we would respond to your grace, respond to your saving us. You're rescuing us from sin and slavery. Lord, move by your Spirit in us that we would trust you afresh, that we would obey you, and that, Father, we would live lives of godliness, not to earn your favor, but because you've shown us your favor. And so, Father, do a work in us this morning, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. We're at week four uh, in our series in the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, The book of Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Bible, right near the beginning of our Old Testament. And I think it's wonderful. I think it's a great book of the Bible. Um, It is the great leader of God's people, Moses, preaching his heart out. 40 years after God's people have been wandering around in the wilderness because of their rebellion or failure to trust God, Moses is preaching this long sermon or three sermons on the edge of the promised land to the new generation of God's people, Israel, and he pleads with them, choose life. In light of what God has done for you, trust God. Obey him. Obey him. Obey that wonderful law that he gave you, that you may live. That law that he gave you after he rescued you out of Egypt. What we have in the book of Deuteronomy really is three speeches of Moses where he reiterates the law that God's people had been given at Mount Sinai. Um, we've worked through speech or sermon number one over the past couple of weeks. Now we're coming to the beginning of the next sermon, kind of today. Now, Deuteronomy, I said this a couple of weeks ago, was loved by the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, Jesus quotes it regularly. In fact, during his great desert trial where he was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tested by the evil one, Jesus quotes Deuteronomy three times in his sort of rebuttal. Jesus, I said, drew, drew great strength from this book. And I reckon if we read it well, we will too. Part of reading Deuteronomy well is also to hold two key things in mind. I shared these way back at the beginning. Um, if we're going to read Deuteronomy well, we need these two keys. One is grace is the premise of the law. You might remember that. And the second one is that Christ is the promise of the law. Uh, it's one of the myths that people hold about the Old Testament, that the Old Testament in covenant time, old covenant times meant that you had to um, earn your way to God's favour and earn your way into heaven. And that you then flick into the New Testament and it's all about grace. You don't have to do anything. It's not really true to hold those two things together like that. The Old Testament said that God's grace precedes our obedience. And we have this actually in the opening lines of the Ten Commandments, which we arrive at today. The the Ten Commandments, as we have it in Deuteronomy chapter 5, open not with a command, but a statement about rescue. I mean, if you go to your Bibles there, uh, chapter 5 and verse 6, we read this, right? I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, therefore have no other gods before me. So I am the Lord your God who brought you out of slavery in Egypt, now have no other gods before me. I've served at a few churches in my time, Um, you know, church buildings which have, you know, all sorts of ornate things in them and that sort of stuff. And lots of old fashioned churches, right, have, you know, on the wall, you know, a fancy marble plaque which might have the words of the Lord's Prayer, another plaque that might have the words of the Apostles' Creed, and over here you've got the Ten Commandments. One of the things I don't like about lots of those things, you might notice this, is the Ten Commandments, when they're chiseled into the marble on old church walls, they start with that one. Have no other gods before me. And then another nine. And you go, wow, isn't it wonderful? Christianity is all about rules, commands. Sadly, they often miss out that first bit, right? I am the Lord your God who brought you out of slavery in Egypt. Rescue. Now live in light of that for me. Grace is the premise of the law. There may be all kinds of reasons to obey God, but the primary one is... We obey him in response to what he's done for us. Grace is the premise of the law. But the second is equally important. Um, We don't read the Old Testament as Old Testament people waiting for the Messiah to come. We read it as New Testament people who know that God's gracious gift of his son, the Messiah, has already come. And he's fulfilled all the requirements of the law. The Old Testament itself actually says that a new Moses would come bringing a new law. A new covenant would come and that new covenant would do crazy things to the Old Testament law. Um, That's what the Old Covenant actually said. That's what the Old Testament says. And so the New Testament says that Jesus is the new Moses who stood on a new mountain and gave the new law. And this does crazy things to the Old Covenant. Um, Remember I showed you this picture last week. I said one more, is one back? Yeah, there you go. Showed you that picture last week to show you how Jesus relates with Pink Floyd. Yeah? Remember that? Um not really. Next one this is what happens right this is i showed you this last week um this is what happens when the old testament and the law on the left hand side is passed through the prism of the lord jesus christ now i am no physicist i reckon there are probably more people out there who know better than physics than i do but when you shine light through a prism apparently i didn't i must have i think i missed that class you know in physics at school but you shine light through a prism and on the other side, the light kind of emerges in all of its like spectrum of color. That's as technical as I'm going to get today. All right, but what happens is right—you have Old Testament. This one, you shine the Old Testament law through the prism of the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ, and crazy stuff happens. Right? That's pretty much what we're saying. And what happens is right when you do that, some of the laws of the Old Testament stay the same some of the old testament laws kind of get intensified others kind of kind of get changed beyond recognition all right you following so as we study the 10 commandments right today sort of an introductory day today and then we'll do all 10 next week hang on to your hearts for that um the same thing happens right so have no other gods before me shine that through the prism of the lord jesus christ stays the same Um, Some laws become intensified, right? So do not commit adultery on the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ becomes whoever looks in order to lust at a woman has already committed adultery in his heart. Wow. But one of the Ten Commandments, right, is transformed beyond recognition. We'll think a bit more about this next week. But the, the New Testament, like there's the Old Testament law, right? You must keep the Sabbath. You must take a whole day off and live it unto the Lord, right? When we come to the New Testament, right, we read you don't have to keep the Sabbath if you have faith in Jesus. So Romans 14, Colossians 2, even Jesus' in own, own ministry would say that. The New Testament teaches that the Sabbath The Old Testament Sabbath actually pointed to ultimate rest in the Lord Jesus, the Messiah. And so if you have faith in Jesus, you can keep the Sabbath if you want, or you don't have to keep the Sabbath. It's not a binding law. So things change totally. When the law then is refracted, we need to read the law through the lens of the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel. Now, all this to say, right, that doesn't mean that Deuteronomy has nothing to say to us. Far from it. Deuteronomy has tons and tons and tons to teach us. And I hope as we see and we move through Deuteronomy, we'll see just how much Deuteronomy has to say about how we as Christians are to live today. That's like ethics, how we are to live as followers of Jesus. The goal of Christian ethics, the priority of ethics, and ultimately show us how the promises of God find their fulfillment in the Lord Jesus Christ. Today, we come to the Ten Commandments. We're gonna kind of just look at some high-level ideas about the Ten Commandments. And then next week, as I said, we're gonna work through all 10 in one go. Um, So make sure you've had your breakfast next week before you come, so we're all in them. Anyway, the first thing I wanna say about the Ten Commandments um, is this. Here's my first point today, really. Um, The Ten Commandments are embedded in the fabric of our Western culture. What's the first thing to say? The Ten Commandments are embedded in the fabric of our Western culture. Um, the Ten Commandments are like a, a real sort of cultural icon or historical icon of the Western world. Um, most people have heard of the Ten Commandments, right? Um, Even people who struggle to list all the Ten Commandments will often say, oh yeah, I live my life by the Ten Commandments, and I also like how our society is kind of based on the Ten Commandments. We generally like that. In 2007, uh, a Reuters survey was done of US citizens um, and found that most people could name all seven ingredients of the Big Mac at McDonald's, Most people could name all six members of the Brady Bunch family with ease, but most people found it really hard to name all the ingredients of the Ten Commandments. I wonder how you would go. I'm going to give you 45.7 seconds to turn to the person next to you, get in fast, say, hey, do you know all the ten? And then you can just watch them squirm, okay? So have a quick turn to the person next to you and say, Do you, can you name all the Ten Commandments? Do you, can you name them? Go for it. Have a look without looking at your Bible. Okay, how'd you go? Anyone, anyone get all ten? We got eleven. Eleven. <laughs> oh. You people from the East, you're a bit creative, aren't you? Here you go, here you go. Um. Anyone get ten? Anyone like let's show off? Hey, Cindy, you're a guru. There you go, nice one, nice one. Um, I'm glad I'm up here and not where you are. I think I'd struggle to get all ten, uh, to be honest. But the, the Ten Commandments are—they're very much part of the fabric of our Western world, um, and they have been for 3,200 years, right? Since Mount Sinai. Now, what's interesting, right, and you know, our culture generally thinks these laws are really good in most cases and helpful and foundational and shape a good society. And interestingly, right, when you read the Bible, what's interesting is that Moses actually said this would happen, right? So he said, Deuteronomy chapter 4, have a look, Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. We looked at this last week. See, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of. Keep them, do them, for that will be your wisdom and understanding in the sight of the nations in the pe- in front of the peoples who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. Yeah? And that has happened. I mean... How many of us know, uh, are thinking right now about the Code of Hammurabi or the Maxims of Delphi, two contemporary set of ethics which shaped many cultures around the time. We've never heard of them. But here we are talking about the Ten Commandments, just like Moses said we would be. It's ironic, actually, I think, that um, even our atheist friends, um, led by people like Richard Dawkins, have sort of stolen the idea of the Ten Commandments and have created like the new atheist Ten Commandments of their own, right? And so this is not just Richard Dawkins, many other kind of atheistic cr- uh, groups have sort of taken the concept of the Ten Commandments and made their own atheist Ten Commandments. Um, here are three of Richard Dawkins' um, atheist Ten Commandments one, enjoy your s- own sex life and leave others to enjoy theirs in private here's another one do not discriminate or oppress on the basis of sex race or species and another one just to give you a flavor do not indoctrinate your children which i think is actually a dig at us as christians perhaps from richard there you go there's heaps more you could say about that. I think it's really fascinating that Richard Dawkins would come up with this. He is kind of adamant um, with his, in his atheistic framework that there is no such thing as right and wrong, and yet he's kind of composed a list of 10 things. I think there's, we could say more about that. My big idea right, is that the, the, the Ten Commandments are such a kind of part of our Western culture, so iconic, such a feature, that even atheists think they're worth kind of emulating in some way. The 10 commandments they are part of the fabric of our western culture but for Israel my second point they were the foundation of Israel's life the foundation of Israel God's people's life now according to all the scholars there are 613 commandments in the Old Testament Um, 613 Um, I'm not going to ask you now to look them up, but I'm told I've not done that, right? I've not gone through the Old Testament and counted 613. Um, In the first century, Jews, particularly the Pharisees, claim there were 613. I'm not about to argue with a Pharisee about how many laws there are in the Old Testament. They would know better than me. Um, They're probably right. So 613 commandments in the Old Testament. What is the Ten Commandments then? Are the Ten Commandments just like the first 10 and then there's 603 that kind of flow off after that? No. The Ten Commandments actually function as a key to the whole thing. And the Ten Commandments, I don't know if you notice in the reading, are actually highlighted in Deuteronomy as really special. They're the only laws that were written down on two tablets given to Moses, just the Ten And more than that, they were the only commandments that God's people, Israel, actually heard with their own ears. So Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 22, following the Ten Commandments, verse 22, chapter 5, These are the commandments the Lord proclaimed in a loud voice to your whole assembly there on the mountain from out of the fire, the cloud and the deep darkness, and he added nothing more. Then he wrote them on two stone tablets and gave them to me. The rest of the passage goes on to say that the rest of the law was given to Moses on his own because the Israelites couldn't stand to bear the voice of Yahweh, God. So my point is, right, that the 10 commandments aren't just like an arbitrary 10 plucked out of the 613, like just the first 10 cab off the rank. They are, they are at the core of Israel's life. They're the founding principles lying behind the vast body of case law which deuteronomy contains we're going to get to deuteronomy 12 through 26 which is this vast body of case law which is all based on the 10 commandments right we're going to do by the way just another heads up we're going to do deuteronomy 12 through to 26 in one sermon okay that's when you're going to have to have extra wheat bix okay for breakfast that's going to be huge anyway um see the 10 commandments right they have tons to teach us about god's priorities And perhaps the most obvious thing the Ten Commandments teach us is about God's twofold priority for us as his people, us as human beings. The third point, the twofold imperative, to love God and to love neighbor. That's at the heart of the Ten Commandments, to love God and to love neighbor. God calls on us to revere him and to respect our neighbors. And if you've looked closely, that's how the Ten Commandments are kind of laid out for us. Uh, Many scholars have pointed out that the Ten Commandments are both vertical and horizontal. Uh, Let me explain. So the first four are vertical, um, describing how we as human beings, how you are to relate to God, and the next six are all about how you relate to other people, horizontal. So you've got vertical and horizontal. So the first four, uh, no other gods, no idols, don't misuse the Lord's name, keep the Sabbath holy unto the Lord, vertical. The next six are all about how you and I are to treat other people. Honor your mother and father. Maybe that would have been a good passage to look at last week for Father's Day, I don't know. Uh, Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, don't covet your neighbor's stuff. So you're vertical and horizontal. This is the whole duty of humankind. And didn't Jesus say something kind of familiar, similar, sorry, when he was asked the question, what is the most important commandment? You know what he said. Um, Have a look with me at Matthew 22, uh, verses 37 to 40. Jesus replied in response to what's the most important commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. There was a, I'm told there was a fair bit of debate in first century Judaism among the Jewish people as to which of the 613 commandments that God had outlined in the Old Testament was the most important commandment. And Jesus, a Jewish leader himself, didn't buy into that. He said, well, there are two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Full stop. Jesus is doing exactly what the Ten Commandments is saying. The whole duty of humankind is is to love God, honor, revere, revere, Respect, hallow God, and also to love your neighbor, respect other human beings, We're vertical and horizontal. And I think I, I might have said this before, it's really important to say it again. That the Ten Commandments and the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ leave no room for either the religious hypocrite who loves God but not people. Or the moral agnostic who loves people but has no time for God. You know, love God, love neighbor. Not one without the other or the other without the one. We rightly criticize the religious hypocrite, don't we? I mean, it's pretty ugly when you see someone who claims to love God and then treats human beings like badly. It's kind of ugly, it's disgusting. That's one of the great caricatures, right, and criticisms that's directed to church people, right, that we're all about loving God, but we don't really love people. The thing is, though, according to the Ten Commandments, and then the refraction that happens with the teaching of Jesus, love God, love your neighbour... The flip side's equally true, right? So loving neighbor without loving God is morally culpable. We rightly say, right, that the religious hypocrite has missed a big truth. The Bible would say as well that the moral agnostics also missed a big truth. To be vertical, love God, but not horizontal, is religious hypocrisy. But the Bible says that to be horizontal without vertical, well, it's a betrayal of God. The Ten Commandments and their refraction through the teaching of Jesus calls us to love God and love neighbour as the whole duty of humankind. A two-fold imperative. But I don't want to just leave it there, right, at the, at the level of duty. Because the Bible speaks of God's way as a pathway to freedom, not just duty. Fourth point, pathway to freedom, the Ten Commandments. I don't know about you, I, we often think the Ten Commandments are kind of constraining on us, don't we? Like some of you have told me this as well. We did the Ten Commandments like last year or sometime, but like maybe the year before. Um, and I remember, yeah, a few of you said, oh, I just feel like the Ten Commandments are kind of a bit constraining and a bit sort of consuming and things like that. Um, you know, as if God's ways are all about keeping us in sort of this servitude and they prevent us from realizing our dreams and realizing our full potential. But what we easily forget, brothers and sisters, is that God means to give us abundant life, John 10.10. And he wants to give us true freedom, John 8.22. His laws, his ways, 1 John 5 verse 3, tells us, are not burdensome. And over and over and over and over and over and over again, Deuteronomy says, and the New Testament backs this up, that God's ways are life, God's ways are blessing, God's ways are freedom. On Tuesday, um, I got into a debate with a school mum. It's terrifying. It's terrifying. Um, I got into a, a debate with a school mum. So Stella was performing at um, the Festival of Music at the Entertainment Centre. I unknowingly filled out a form to offer to be one of those like parental kind of helpers on the day. Um, I thought I was just signing up for a couple of hours on one day a few weeks ago. I didn't realise I was signing up for like a whole, like my whole life. No, um, for like half a day. It was, it was great. But man, like I'm going to read the fine print next time on these forms. Um, anyway, so I'm Tuesday night, I, I'm one of, I was like one of the backstage dads. Um, so I was there to kind of run kids who were busting for the loo to go to the toilet and throw them back on stage again. There were so many parents that I didn't have to do anything. So I got into debates with school mums. That's what I did. There you go. Um, anyway, I had this debate um, with, a, with, one, with a school mum from Prospect Primary where my kids go. So I'm now avoiding... No. Um, this lady claimed to be an atheist. I'm not sure if she was a full-blown atheist, but she claimed to be an atheist. And we got to a debate going about this very question, like, you know, are the Ten Commandments constraining? Um, we, we got to, you know, She said, oh, what do you do? And I said, I'm a pastor. Sometimes that turns people off and they just walk away. She was like, I'm engaging, right? So, and then she said, oh, you know, what does that look like? I said, I preach and rah, rah. And she said, oh, what are you preaching on this Sunday? And I said, oh, I'm preaching on the Ten Commandments. And she said, oh, what are you going to say? I said, well, actually, I'm going to say they're a pathway to freedom. And she just looked at me as if I was, like, had four heads. Like, it was amazing. She just goes, that's rubbish. Like, commandments aren't the pathway to freedom. She said this, Simon, by definition, commandments are the opposite of freedom. And we went back and forth and back and forth. And then, thankfully, the show finished. No. She bought the idea, right, that freedom means unrestricted choice. And this is very much the way that freedom is talked about and written about and thought about in our society today. Freedom is no restriction. So commandments mean that you are not free. So we live by mantras like this today, right? Live and let live. Be you or you be you. And the rules of today, they're the rules of today, right? And so Richard Dawkins, have sex with whoever you like and let others just do the same, don't worry, is a kind of classic expression of that. Our choices, our Lord says, should be unrestricted. People talk like this. But how rational is it, right, to define freedom as unrestricted choice? Freedom can't be the capacity to do whatever you choose because some of our choices, right, are demeaning of ourselves and also demeaning of others. Some of our choices are utterly enslaving, right? Just speak to the alcoholic, the workaholic, the person addicted to internet porn, addicted to drugs. They all choose, but they're not free because sometimes choice is the opposite of freedom. John Dixon quotes the brilliant Professor David Bentley Hart, Christian writer, philosopher, theologian, who speaks about freedom this way, quote, We are free not merely because we can choose, but only when we've chosen well. For to choose poorly through folly or malice in a way that thwarts our nature and distorts our proper form is to enslave ourselves to the transitory, to the irrational, to the purposeless. True freedom, he says, is not unrestricted choice. True freedom is the capacity to choose well, to choose according to your proper form. He finishes by saying true freedom is becoming what you were meant, what you were made to be. And my point is this Deuteronomy says that the laws of God, our Maker, are freedom in this sense. The Ten Commandments are rules for free people to stay free. And this is why Deuteronomy has this recurring phrase all the way through it right you might have spotted this if you're reading ahead through Deuteronomy you might have spotted this already nine times in fact the book of Deuteronomy says that it may go well with you that it may go well with you that it may go well with you following certain commands so you get a, a bunch of commands and then Moses then says that it may go well with you here's a couple of examples Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 40 Moses says keep his decrees and commands which I am giving you today so that it may go well with you and your children after you that you may live long in the land the Lord your God gives you for all time it's right there in the Ten Commandments right chapter 5 verse 16 the fifth commandment honour your father and mother as the Lord your God has commanded you why? so that you may live long and that it may go well with you in the land your God is giving you. And then seven more times after key points in Deuteronomy, that it may go well with you. Why? Why this recurring phrase? Well, partly because God's covenant promises with Israel, the promises made to Israel that bind God's people and God to himself, actually did involve the physical land of Israel itself, right? So that is, if Israel, God's people, responded to God's rescue and salvation with love and obedience, God would shower on them abundant harvests. There'd be lack of disease, there'd be prosperity, there would be joy, there would be comfort. So part of what it means is the specific covenant promises of God was kind of bound to the land of Israel as well now it'd be wrong for us to apply this directly to the new covenant right because the new covenant the times in which we live the new covenant equivalent of the land is not the current economy it is the kingdom to come the new creation when all this abundance will be fulfilled so it will be inappropriate for us to turn this into a mechanism, right? So, I obey and therefore I will be healthy, wealthy and wise, right? It's not how it works. However, there is a valid principle in the words that it may go well with you, for you and for me, that the New Testament picks up. That obedience to God's ways will bring blessing to your life. And I take my lead here from the Apostle Paul, who actually quotes the Ten Commandments in Ephesians chapter 6 a letter in the New Testament this is the New Testament right so Paul says Ephesians chapter 6 verse 1 to 3 children obey your parents in the Lord for this is right honour your father here's the commandment honour your father and mother which is the first commandment with a promise so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Now. Paul knows, right, he's writing to the Ephesian Christians in the first century, they're living in Turkey, they're not living in the land of Israel under the old covenant, get that, does that make sense? So Paul's writing to these New Testament Christians living in Turkey, they're not living in the land of Israel, they're not living under Old Testament conditions. In fact, four chapters earlier in the the letter of Ephesians, Paul says in chapter two that in Jesus, uh, Jesus has in his flesh set aside all the laws and all the commands and all the regulations and yet here's Paul quoting a commandment from the Ten Commandments I don't know like has Paul like in the space of four chapters forgotten what he said back in chapter two that in the flesh of the Lord Jesus the law has been fulfilled no of course not but this is what we have here is a a key into the way the New Testament thinks about the law. On the one hand, the law has been fulfilled, like totally set aside, fulfilled. Jesus has fulfilled the law, and therefore anyone who trusts in the Lord Jesus Christ has kind of done that as well. But on the other side, this is still God's word to us, speaking wisdom into our lives today. The one thing I want us to notice is that Paul thinks that blessing, the blessing of obedience, is still real. Otherwise, he wouldn't have drawn attention to the fact that there was a promise attached to our obedience. So what does he mean? He can't mean that the Ephesian Christians are gonna have a lovely 500 square meter plot of land just west of the Jordan in the land of Canaan. What does he mean that it may go well with you? I think this text from Paul, 1 Timothy chapter 4, should be verse 8 by the way, 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 8 explains what he means. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. The Apostle Paul says that following God's ways, like aka godliness, holds value not just for the life to come, of course it does, but for today. Obedience blesses you. For Paul, right, godliness is the beginning, the middle, and the end of Christian living. Godliness is the main game. And godliness, says Paul, offers massive dividends in this life and extraordinarily enormous capital gains in the life to come. Again, verse eight, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This, he says in verse nine, is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. It's pretty hard to miss. Paul tells Timothy and therefore tells us to be godly. If you're a follower of Jesus. And verse 10 gives us the reason why. Verse 10, this is why we labor and strive in godliness, live in God's ways, because we've put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, and especially of those who believe. Now, the gospel in this moment in Paul's letter to Timothy isn't explicitly detailed, but it's it's certainly implied. Paul points out that the Lord Jesus is the one who saves and all those who've entrusted themselves to him are saved. Paul wants us to see that because Jesus is our saviour and we belong to him and because we've been rescued and purchased by him at a price through his bloody death on a cross on our behalf, we are called to toil and strive for godliness and in doing so we are blessed. Are blessed you know just like the ancient israelites god's people were rescued out of slavery and then called to live a life of trusting and obeying in yahweh so we who have put our trust in jesus who we know has rescued us from slavery to sin and now has us on a trajectory to the new creation we're called to live as his chosen people and what that looks like is godliness and as we live god's ways we're blessed And perhaps our greatest living theologian puts it best when he says this. Have you seen those fit and healthy guys always doing their exercise? Well, it's better to work for a heavenly prize, practice being godly. Never give up, make it your aim to practice being godly. If you've been forgiven in Jesus' name, you've got to practice being godly. He paid the price for all our sin. His Holy Spirit dwells within. So center all you do on him. Practice being godly. You could lift big weights. You could swim or run. Train every day to be number one. But it's better to train for the life to come. Say it with me. Practice being godly. Colin Buchanan nailed it. Yeah. (laughs) Be godly. Because God, our maker, God is our maker. He is our rescuer. He's our saviour. And again, we mustn't turn this into a mechanical formula, brothers and sisters, if I obey today, I will be blessed tomorrow, as if it's like a transactional thing. The word of God says there is value to you in this present life to live God's ways. God's ways work in much the same way as a manufacturer's instructions work for a product, right? I know this is really hard for most of the men in the room to grasp, right? But for those of us who do from time to time open the manufacturer's instructions to get something working again, often things go well for us. Yeah? What we can say is that God's ways, embodied in the Ten Commandments, refracted through the teachings of Jesus are what we're made for. It's our calling. And therefore, it's the pathway to true freedom. The Ten Commandments, right, they are this amazing historical icon, right? 3,200 years later, and we're still talking about them. They are the core, the heart of the life of God's people. And we look on them and see the wisdom of God, and we see that, that, two, that beautiful two-fold imperative, love God. And the overflow of that is to love our neighbor, but perhaps the biggest thing I want to drive home for us this morning is that God's ways are the pathway to freedom. They are for your good. That's what we're made for. For you know, obedience to God is not to be enslaved. Obedience to God is to be truly free. Let me close um, with what I hope isn't a trivial illustration that undoes all the work we've done this morning. Um, I used to race Ironman triathlon, um, you know, and triathlon in general. You know, that stupid event where you do a swim and then you jump out and jump on your bike and then go on to a run. And you do it all consecutively, non-stop, and then you die at the end. You know, that's, that's kind of what I used to do. Um, I've been training and racing Ironman and triathlons for years, right? Swim, bike, run, and at one stage in my training and racing I crossed this incredible threshold right Um, I was a strong cyclist I was a pretty strong um, runner my weakest leg by far was the swim Um, some people used to say you can you can't win the race in the swim but you can definitely lose it that was kind of my mantra there you go Um, I knew I was you know I, I knew I could be stronger in the water right but I was reluctant to take lessons people have said Jacko just have a lesson or two it'll help you out and I was like no no, I am good. I, don't, I'm too, I was too proud, basically, to take a lesson. Um, anyway, a friend of mine started getting into triathlon. He was a bit of a weak swimmer, so I said, hey, man, you should get swimming lessons. And I was so convincing, he did it, I was like, I'll convince myself. And so I went and had a lesson. It was, yeah, reluctantly, right? So I booked in for a lesson with this private coach at Unley Swimming Pool, and I remember saying, I want to take my swimming to the next level. You know, I just, I want, I'm good, I want to be really good. And he just looked at me and said, uh huh. We'll see. Um, so I got in the pool. The first half of the lesson was incredibly annoying. I hated it, right? Because um, this swimming coach was painfully into technique, right? Like, I just want to swim and get faster. He's like, I'm going to teach you technique. So I'm, I'm swimming along. And all I could hear was the coach going, Hey, Jacko, watch your hand entry. Watch your hand entry. You know when you've got to go in like this? And then I'm like, okay, watch my hand entry. And he's like, he's yelling at me, you know, like timing, timing, look at your timing. And I'm going, okay, timing. You know, it's pretty hard to swim and listen at the same time. You know, hand in, timing, lift your hips, Jacko. Your hips are sinking and your legs are sagging. Lift my hips. How do you do that in the water, right? Lift your hips, you know, lift your legs, listen to stuff. Then he's like, elbow position, elbow you know when you go in the water and you've got to pull back any swimmers in the room you got to have this like I don't even know how you do that but anyway like you know, pull back pull back I'm going man thinking about this hated it it was absolutely it was too technical for me right and then halfway through the lesson I kid you not something clicked and, so and my technique started so to take care of itself no longer was I fighting the water I was free turns out all this technical stuff about hips and hands and bums and elbows and rotation and things really matters and my swimming took a leap forward unfortunately it was in the twilight years of my career as a triathlete Um, but my point is the swim instructors directives were not restrictive they were freeing they actually made it work. Now, I don't know, maybe swimming doesn't really work for you. Maybe, you know, you're a closet surfer. I don't really surf, but I'm told by those people who surf that when you're out the back and you're on your board and the sun's shining and the dolphins are swimming and that, big, that wave comes through and you just sort of get on the wave and you're just rolling. You're like, people just say, I've just never felt freer. So you're at sort of one with the wave musicians I'm not a musician but musicians talk about this as well when you're just in time in tune in the zone there's sort of like there's no restrictions you can just just do it I don't know maybe none of these pictures resonate with you but my point is important God's ways embodied in the Ten Commandments refracted through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ are not restrictive, they are for your flourishing. When you take seriously the call of God to love your na- love God, love your neighbor, you're becoming what you're made for. And in that, there is no greater freedom. Should we pray? Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, Uh, Wherever each of us is at in our sense of freedom and faith, please speak to us this morning about the freedom of being who we're meant to be. Uh, Lord, how we long that this church, our church here at City Light Church North Adelaide, would be a church that longs to obey and live for you, Again, not because we need to do that in order to earn your favour, but we do that because we have and know your favour. May we be a church, may we be men and women who, flowing from our knowledge of being rescued and redeemed and saved, would live lives of trust in you, love for our neighbour, that we'd be men and women who are godly. So Lord, make it so through the power of your Spirit and through the name of Jesus, our Saviour. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church, North Adelaide. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church, or to donate to the work of City Light Church North Adelaide, visit us at citylight.church slash northadelaide.